This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Anthony's the owner of Amalfi Estates, and he has really established himself as a great leader in not only the real estate industry, but he's very passionate about some about um, about making a difference in the community that he serves. Um, I watched a short video where he was on just the other day. Anthony, I appreciate you sending me that, but he was he was on um, who was my my gosh, Doctor Phil, and talking about equity and inclusion and some of the things that are happening that are just out of balance in our in our world. And uh, it was really cool to see your perspective. And, you know, really bringing attention to some things that are that that need to be brought to the attention of the marketplace. We may talk about that today. He founded um, in 1995 and headquartered in the Pacific Palisades, which is a beautiful place. He works this little small area of the Pacific Palisades where he has a huge market share. Uh, he has a great team there. In 2022, he was uh, the Wall Street Journal ranked him as one of the top 10 teams in the nation. Um out of 2 million agents and teams. So to be top 10 out of 2 million is a pretty pretty exclusive group to be in. He's internationally recognized philanthropist and real estate expert. He sold over 2 billion in properties. He's known for creativity and marketing and publicity. Um, some of the things, that, you know, last year, one of the things that he's um, well known for and it, it caught the national news was being involved in his recent sale of a 63.1 million record-breaking sale of the Hearst Estate, which was the most expensive home in the country to sell uh, at auction. And so when you think about luxury real estate, uh, what Anthony doesn't like to talk about, the things that uh, I most admire in Anthony is, uh, you know, how much he is focused on giving back and making a difference in the community. And he helps um, so many children get their uh, their wishes done. He, he's involved in the American Cancer Society. He's involved in pet charities. He's involved in eliminating homelessness and really focused on uh, making a difference in the community. And everybody on his team is involved in that as well. And so I love the the spirit that he brings to it. I will tell you that Anthony as a Workman Success client has influenced many of our other Workman Success coaches and clients to increase the amount that they give back and to have be focused on the community and making a difference. So Anthony, thanks for being here. I'm glad that you're here and I appreciate you being part of the webinar. We also have Michelle Dennigan and I'm looking at there. Michelle is our chief marketing officer at, at Side Inc. And for those of you who don't know who Side is, Side is a really cool, one of the fastest growing franchises in the country. And they're doing a phenomenal job at attracting and going after and helping people become leaders of their own businesses. And Side's got some great technology. When I first met Michelle, Michelle's coming from outside of real estate into real estate and brings us tremendous amount of insight and experience as a chief marketing officer. Um, the first time that I met her in her side capacity, I was immediately attracted to her energy and the and the experience that she brings with her. Um, Michelle has this unbelievable ability to um, help people look differently about the business and to bring a tremendous amount of insight. Um, after she's a highly sought off strategist, she helps business uh, scale. She's recently returned to real estate um, where she started her career with move.com. She spent the last 17 years in the automotive industry, supporting growth and community-based car dealerships across the country. 
Uh, she was the CMO at Edmonds and uh, and Roadster, where she built the brand and a go-to market strategy, scaling the company from 15 to 250 employees. And now she's focused on helping individual business owners, as well as side, create a scale. So Michelle, thank you for being here. Glad you're here. Thanks for having me. I'm going to start by talking about, um, and just asking you, Anthony, when you, when, uh, as a leader in running your own team, I want to just, um, have you share with the group how important core values are to your team from a leadership perspective and how you really use and integrate those into your business practice? Thank you, Burl, and thank you for the introduction. I'm really honored to be on this panel. Uh, Michelle's amazing. I've gotten to know her fairly well over the last uh, year or so, and uh, thank you. So we appreciate the opportunity to be on here. Um, I had not had any core values. I didn't even really know what core values were before I met uh, you, Burl, and and your coaches and your and be introduced to your company. Um, you know, I had heard of them about other companies, but I didn't really realize, you know, if they were how to best utilize them. So with Workman's help, we put together core values that our team actually, as a collective, came together. It's better if a team leader just introduces them or creates them, there's no ownership. So we really, as a team, came together and and created them as a as a equally, um, because I wanted them to have ownership of it. Uh, what we've done with them, and we have a, it blown up on the wall of the office. We have them uh, printed on um, little placards, like a little frame on each agent's desk. We read them in each meeting, our Monday and Thursday morning meetings, just to kind of re-emphasize. Um, and we really, we hire and we fire by our core values. So um, when it's listed there, it's really true. Um, I know I had some challenging times in the beginning, and I would talk to you, Verl, and I'd say, you know, this person's a really big producer, but, you know, like, they kind of lied to me, and, and I really didn't sit well. <laughs> and, you know, you said, look, uh, what do your core values say? You know, it's like going back to the Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> and it was very clear when someone breaks one of them, they're probably going to break a majority of them um, with one action. And um, so it sets a message to the rest of your team and your company when you let someone go who's a big producer, you're not, you're putting morals and ethics over money and it sets the tone for the company. That was the big aha moment um, by using them. Yeah, interestingly, I remember, I remember a specific instance, but um, has your, has your team um, gone backwards because you got serious about core values or did you grow as a result of that? So you lose a big producer because of a lack of, um, uh, you know, some doing something that was dishonest and you like cut them out because they were a high producer. Did you, did you feel that, um, did you feel the business decrease after that or did you grow? No, we grew. We definitely grew. I mean, when we, when we started with you, we were doing a hundred million a year. Um, last year we did close to 500 million. So we definitely grew. We put systems in place. Um, and I think people want to align with someone who's going to, you know, your core values, you have to be consistent, right? So they're not just words. If the, Team leader is not going to own and and live those those ethics and those values. Um, I mean, we, we always go with what's in the client's best interest every time. I mean, that's that literally is our mantra, and it it answers a lot of our questions. You know, should is this the right thing to do? Well, is it in the client's best interest? And and that usually answers the question right there. You know, it's interesting. It doesn't say do what's in the best client's interest as long as it doesn't hurt you financially. That's not what it says. Sometimes doing what's in the client's business is expensive. Yeah. 
Yeah, if we and make a mistake, it. you know, we have to own it. You know, well, we forgot to to uh, include the washer and dryer, or we made a mistake somewhere, and we're like, well, we'll own it. You know, and then just, you know, it, it all comes out in the wash, right? It's all about karma, and you know, the more the more you give, um, that's really about our mantra. Yeah, and kudos to you, Anthony, for recognizing that somebody was um, maybe poisonous, given that they didn't align with the culture, and doing something about that because not everybody would. But it, to your point, it sends such a signal. You know, everybody has to align because in addition to um, making sure that the company is operating correctly, it's also your employees are your, are your brand, right? So yeah. the people on your team are who you are out to your customers. And if they're not aligning with your values, then it's not sending the right reputation either. So yeah, love that. What's, what's surprising is when we let someone go that's in violation or breach of our core values. I'm surprised how many of our competitors hire that person like with open arms. <laughs> and uh, right. it's just it's just surprising to me. Um, you know, that's not really a factor in their decision making. It, it you know, not not all of them, but 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 you know, it it's yeah. So right. It's all about the money. The money is yeah. everything. Everybody chases dollars. So Michelle out of curiosity as you're as you're listening to Anthony talk about the core values. Um, what are some of the things that you think are important in the in the beginning of developing leaders? So a lot of people are on this call are new team leaders or they're small broker owners and they're moving from, hey, I'm a producing realtor to now I have to develop as a leader. You take people on as a company whose focus is, is to now go into leadership. What are some yeah. of the skills or traits that you think are most important for them? To well, I think on? I think the first thing to recognize is that when you are starting a, a team or, or a company, um, as it were, um, if you were partnering with side, you have to recognize that the skills that made you the top producing agent that you are, are not the same skills that will help you succeed as a leader. And so I think that that's really important to recognize because a lot of people go into this thinking like, I'm a great producer and I can just bring people on and we're going to all do more production together. <laughs> But the reality is you have to transfer your thinking to not just, you know, it's about me and, um, you know, I'm just going to get more of me. It's about making time to coach and mentor the people that you bring on. I think that's the most important part. Culture is a part of it too, like Anthony was talking about before, because if you don't figure out culture up front, then you're not going to hire the right people to join your team. But once they're there, it's about mentoring them. It's about making sure that you are coaching them on the systems that you've created that you know are successful. Um, and it's also about making sure that you can, you know, figure out how to check in on them, you know, on a regular basis and, and create that, that personal um, touch point with them um, so that they feel supported, that they do feel like they're learning, growing, they can be successful. So, but it's, it's definitely a transition. It is not, it is not the same skill set. <laughs> I think that's huge. I think just that, like we could wrap it up. I think that the skills that got you to be high producer are not the skills you're going to use as a leader and they're very different. And I, you know, when I think about all the mistakes that I've made, you know, running a company and as a, as a, as a, as a learning leader, I feel like I'm in development. I'm learning every day, trying to become better at leading my people. I, you know, I've suffered from the, the, uh, 
the thought process of, I don't understand why they just don't get up and do it like me. I just get up and work every day hard and I don't understand that. And with, and comparing to me, I think was one of the biggest mistakes that I made as a leader is trying to make people think or act or behave the way I do instead of learning, Hey, what are you good at? How do I make you be, how do I help you become better based on who you are instead of comparing them to me? And I think that's one of the big mistakes that leaders make is, um, you know, trying to get other people to be like us, as opposed to really understanding how to help them be great based on who they are and their experiences. That's been, that was, I'd say that's one of my failed, you know, I had to fail at that a lot before I started realizing that, you know, people don't want to be me. They want to be them. They want to be themselves. And my job is to help them be great at that. Yeah, Pearl, and so you bring that up. Anthony and I were, I were chatting last night about how sometimes you do have to fail to learn. And those are your biggest moments of growth. Um, so that's, that's a great point. One, one example, Earl, um, at yeah. our, our Thursday morning meetings, we, we ask each sales partner, you know, what did you learn this last week? And I, was try, I started doing it where I actually admitted a mistake I made because it's just about humility. And, you know, every day we're learning. We're still opening to, to grow. And how can we be better as people? Um, and so, you know, I'll, I sometimes interrupt people. <laughs> you know that, Earl. I'm like, don't let you finish and I'll interrupt you. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I, it's a work in progress. Um, but as long as I admit my, you know, that I am working on things like that at the office meetings, I think it sets, you know, lead by example, right? Well, if the, if the team leader can admit that he's making mistakes, then it allows them the, the safety and the space to do the same. And that's really... Um, you know, the humility. We, we look for humility, we look for coachability, and we look for hunger. Those are the three main ass attributes we look when we hire potential sales partners to join our team. I think it also makes you more human, Anthony, when people know that you're not perfect. I think that is the mistake that a lot of leaders make. I'm far they... from it. Ask my wife. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask my husband too, believe me, and my kids. <laughs> but I think people put on this facade and are too afraid to share when things didn't go right, but that makes people feel like when they fail, that they also, you know, can't fail because nobody else above them is doing that. So I think it's super important to be vulnerable and share those moments with your team. It gives me this, um, it makes me think about being a leader is not, is not being able to tell people what to do. Like a lot of people think that my leader, that being a leader means I got to tell you what to do but it's really setting the example of how to do things correct and then developing them so they can do it. It's not telling them. I don't think that's leadership. That's dictatorship. And a lot of people lead, but lead with that. That's their leadership style. Uh, it was really interesting. We did this, uh, we did a team study. I don't know if my next slide shows that, but it, we did a team study in our team study. Um, this isn't the slide that I wanted. It said one of the stats was that that team members want an example of how to do the business correctly. And they want a leader who shows them, not tells them. So they want to have that. They want that had to have an example. You know, we talk about teams as being important. And this just shows that this particular stat in the study shows that um, 
you know, right now there's with the shifting market, there's a lot of people that are wondering, hey, do I stay in the business? Do I renew my license? Am I going to be able to survive the, you know, the, the little bit of rise of interest rates and the slowdown of the marketplace? And the reality is, is that the being on a team makes them much more likely to stay in the business because they have mentorship and leadership that's going to give them um, insights and they're going to work together as a group to be able to do more together. And I, I love that. I think that if, if there's agents that are on the webinar that are trying to decide whether or not it should stay in real estate, maybe you're not asking the right question. It's how do I put my position myself in a position where I can continue to be successful regardless of what goes on in the marketplace? And the answer might be either to start a team or to join a team because there's a lot of synergy that happens. Michelle, why do you focus on teams? Why is that something as a, as a company or brand that you guys focus on? Um, well, it's a, it's a great question. It's actually, you know, we, we focus on teams, but teams is really a subset of what we do, um, you know, what we really are about is building companies, real estate companies, um, of which teams can be created, right? So we look at the top one and a half percent of agents that are doing really well on their own, whether they have a team or they're an independent brokerage right now, or um, even a solo producer. And we say, you know, own your own company and control that. Um, the way that you think it should be controlled and within that grow by creating a team. So it, it was interesting. Anthony pointed this out to me the other day, which is we're one of the very few in the industry that focus almost exclusively on teams just because of that mantra, because we believe so strongly in ownership, that that's the output that happens um, when that is your core focus. So I'd be, I'm, I'm interested to, so I love that you help people build companies and having a team is part of what creates a company. You like do it, company, you can have a company of one, but it's very lonely. And I think that scale happens and synergy happens when you have other people that are headed in the same direction, whether it's an office or a brokerage or a team or a family. I just think that they, that when you function together as a unit, it's, there's more joy in the journey when you're, when you have other people that are rolling in that same direction. Um, Anthony, what do you, um, what are you saying to uh, agents right now who are worried about the shift? Or that's a, that's a really for both of you. You know, I'd like to hear from you, Anthony, and then Michelle. What are you what are you saying to your agents right now that are worried about the shifting market? I mean, I just, you know, whether we call it a shifting market or whether we call it a normalized market, um, because the last two years was an abnormal market, um, and so we just as long as we put it in perspective. 50% of the agents have never seen a down market, right? We've had 12 years of appreciation. So, you know, most people assume properties are going to sell in a week and have 15 offers and it's going to sell away we're asking, but that's not normal. You know, normal listings are 180 day listings. And so normally pre COVID, it would take three to six months or longer to sell, you know, properties, you know, and different markets are going to be different, obviously um, different price points are going to be different. Um, but we're just getting our, our agents, Back in November, I'm a big data guy. So I saw last November, a year ago, that the market was was starting to, the numbers, less transactions and less inventory. So we started going really heavy into door knocking and to circle prospecting. So circle prospecting, a lot of, you know, you know, there's Mojo Dialing and there's Red X and there's several other companies out there that are all very good. Um, and we circle prospect around an upcoming listing. And the whole goal is to get their email address. And we want to get four emails a day. If you get four emails, new emails a day, you're going to get a thousand emails a year. And in five years, you're going to get 5,000 new emails to your database. 
So, so the goal is four new emails a day. And the best way we found is, is door knocking and, and uh, circle prospecting. Um, and we have a great door knocking campaign. I'm happy to share with anyone listening on this call. I love to share information. Um, so uh, if it's helpful to people. You know, it's interesting. So Anthony, what's your average sell price? And the reason I ask you that is because there's a, there's a limiting belief that you can't knock doors in houses that are nicer. Right. Well, there's a great story uh, in, in the Palisades where we, where we live. Uh, ben Affleck's house was door knocked, not by my team, unfortunately. Um, and they got the listing and it was like a $20 million listing. So um, our average sales price is $2 million. Um, and, uh, you know, people are regular people. So uh, there's, no, there's, no, there's no difference. They, you know, they put their clothes on like everyone else. And they have the same concerns that everyone else has. Um, so... So, Michelle, what are you telling your leaders and your uh, company owners about the shifting market? How are you positioning them to be able to, to take market share when other people are backing off and waiting and seeing? Yeah, it's actually a great question. You know, I think for leaders that are at the top of their game, now is actually a great time to not only um, retain the agents that you have, but also to grow your team <laughs> as uh, agents evaluate their options. Like Anthony said, um, you know, the average tenure, according to NAR, is eight years in the industry. So other than a very small blip at the beginning of the pandemic, most agents haven't experienced market conditions like this, right? So they're evaluating their options. They're asking themselves questions like, does my current team set me up for success? Do I have all the tools and guidance I need to thrive? And if you're a leader that has the ability to support and mentor um, and show that to these agents that are evaluating their options, you can actually grow your team in this market, which is interesting to consider because when things might not be looking as swell as they were a year ago, you can still continue to grow your profit by adding agents that to your team that are looking for that mentorship and looking for that coach, coaching and guidance, right? So I think that's something to really think about. And that's certainly what we're talking about. In fact, um, it's the entire theme of our upcoming side-by-side -side event uh, in person in February, which is to rise above the tide, right? Um, lean in and really use this to the best of your abilities. Um, take advantage, gain market share. Um, you know, let's go. Like, this is the time when there's all of these people that don't have the expertise that you have, um, that you can share and, and coach and guide to the next level. I love that. We created a program called The Shift, which is a, basically a threat-based marketing system where we're messaging to the market. Our, our consumers are getting news from you know, CNN and Fox News and MSNBC. And if it's not bad news, they don't report it. And so the consumer is hearing all this negative stuff. And so our idea was to create messaging that is threat elimination marketing. So they're hearing all these threats and then our messaging to the market, we want to be the purveyor of how do you move forward? Because the life events that occur that cause people to move continue to happen regardless of, you know, what, where interest rates are. People get married, they get divorced, they upsize, they downsize, they relocate, they want their kids to play sports in a different school. You know, there's all kinds of reasons people move and we don't control that neither do interest rates. And so, and so even though there's a change, there's still a huge number of people. Even during the Great Recession in 2008, the market only dropped 20%, which means it's not that much. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's significant, but it's not like it doesn't stop. This river of real estate, as we call it, continues to move. Anthony, when you talk about being a risk taker as a leader, what, is, what does that mean to you? What does that mean being willing to take risks? 
Uh, I mean, a couple of things came to mind. Uh, one, when we started proposing, we give 10% of our commission to charity, uh, similar to like tithing. And, and at the time, it was a hard decision, <laughs> mainly because you're competing against, you know, agents that want the highest commission splits. And, you know, we were going against the grain um, because it's a lot to give 10% of your commission to charity. I mean, it, it you really you know, it can be struggling some months, right? But but it's the right thing to do. And it's paid back tenfold, um, just in a lot of ways. Uh, a lot of um, Gen Zs and a lot of uh, millennials and a lot of, they really gravitate to having a higher purpose. And so, you know, you think, well, you're going to hurt your business by, by, by forcing your agents and your team to give 10%, but it actually attracts the the like kind people that you that you want that resonate with your core values, so you know I guess going against the 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 you know the the, the wisdom um, that being a contrarian thinker you know um, another thing that we did uh, and that was with your help Burl was our splits were out of whack you know we were we were giving you know following uh you know uh, one of the large companies out there that has very high splits and and they're paying the price right now. Um, and so we had a much higher split than, than our business really could sustain. So a couple of years ago, we, we changed our splits to something where everyone could be more, uh, profitable in the long run. And, um, we didn't lose one agent and it was very, you know, I was worried about it. You know, when you take someone from a certain split to a lower split, but it's all about, um, you know, the question, do you want a higher commission split or do you want a higher 1099 at the end of the year? And we showed them with our systems that we could have a higher 1099 at the end of the year. You know, there's a lot of 100% companies out there, but, you know, 100% of nothing is not very helpful. So, yeah, and I think as leaders, it's our responsibility to create stability and security for the people that we lead. And if we're not profitable, there's no stability and security in that business model. And so you can pay somebody a high split, but if you're not, if you have, if you're at risk as a business leader, it requires, it requires you to, if it disincentivizes the behavior we want from the leader, which I want the leader to give all the business to the team, but if you overpay the team, you have a disincentive to do that. And so we want to incentivize the behavior we want from the leader. So as we get into compensation discussions with our teams, that's a big, that's a, that's a big deal. Um, the other, um, I'm going to come back to you just one second, Michelle. I remember Anthony, when you decided to change the face of your website to be, uh, we're a philanthropy company, not a real estate company. That to me, I felt was a pretty big risk. I thought that was a risky, that was a risky move as a leader. But how is that? How has that paid off for you long term? Yeah. So uh, when you go to our website, there there's very little about you know real estate listings on our main page. It's really about our charitable giving. Um, we'd like to say that we're a, a, a charitable um, company that specializes in real estate, or a philanthropic company that specializes in selling real estate. And I think it differentiates because everyone else is just selling a commodity, right? They're like, you know, we don't we don't send any just listed or just sold postcards. Um, I don't send any mailings. Um, we just we don't spam people that way. And and really pushing the message of our philanthropy. And then you come, you, you're not a salesperson anymore. You're really a community leader, and it differentiates yourself. You know, when there's less likely a seller is going to say, "Hey, reduce your commission," or um, you know, uh, if you're having trouble negotiating something, when they realize you're giving 10% back to a charity that they pick, you know, they're actively involved in picking the charity. So I think it separates us from 
other majority of agents that are just salespeople um, because of our give back to the community and and how important it really how important that is. So, so Michelle, we would, uh, the risk to your, I was going to say it's not even just for differentiating yourself to your clients, right? It's also differentiating yourself to your agents and attract when you attract new agents. I think that's those two things go hand in hand. Sorry, Verl, I interrupted. No, no, you're right. Well, you know, it's funny because we all work on differentiation and what do we really have that makes us unique? And the giving that Anthony talks about is not a marketing ploy. It's a DNA. It's like, mm -hmm. I want to make a difference in the world. And real estate is a vehicle that allows me to do that as opposed to, I want to give so I can get more business. Right. And the reality is, you know, we, we've talked about this for all, what do we want to say on our tombstones, Right. Uh, you know, I'm number one agent, I'm number one, top 1%, you know, we're too focused on our industry on the ego, and we need to be more focused on the give back. Um, and, and, you know, you go to conferences, and the first question is, you know, how many units did you sell? And what, what was your dollar volume? And look how great I am. You know, First of all, we should be focused right. on the net return rather than the gross, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, and then secondly, we really should be focused on, on giving back. And we've all been so blessed in this industry to be in a profession that um, we can help people change their lives and we can make money in the process, right? And we're given the opportunity to do so. Uh, giving back, it, it, I, I'm excited every day for the opportunity that we have. And that's our legacy, that, that it's not how many alms we've sold. I mean, I get introduced all the time with, oh, you've sold 2 billion and you've, you've done the Hearst Estate and you've done these things which are eye catchers in our, in our community, but it's really the give back is, is what the meaningful message is. I love your net profit awards. I've, I've actually pitched that to a few national brands and been shut down every time. No one's going to give net profit awards. They keep telling me, nope. <laughs> so, but, I, but I pitch it all the time because that really is the only measuring stick. Michelle, when you, when you are taking a team and you're helping to become a company, is there risk involved with that? And what are some of the things you do to minimize some of that risk? Or how do you help them transition from I'm a team to now I'm actually building a company and a boutique brand and I'm going to attract people in my community that way? What are some of the things we do to help eliminate some of that risk? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, honestly, it's it's about making sure that people are ready to make that transition, right? It's not for everybody, to be fair. Um, if somebody comes and says, look, I've, I've got an existing team, I want to create my own real estate company, um, but I'm, you know, producing 90, 90 to 95% of what's coming in, we really have to ask them and work with them on, are you, are you ready to mentor and coach and, and grow, um, you know, a team and, a, and build a company and build a culture around that. So, you know, the way that we really help set people up for success is to make sure they're prepared to make that transition um, by putting a business plan together that helps them figure out exactly how they're going to grow, right? And bringing up that it's more than just your sphere um, and your own personal production, but it's also, you know, where, what are other strategies that you can deploy and certainly recruiting and bringing on a team is, is a big piece of setting them up for that success so that they can be successful. It, on that note, I mean, when I, when I met you, Viral, I didn't have a team and I remember talking to you and you said, Anthony, the next stage of your career, you've been successful. You obviously know how to sell houses is to mentor younger people and, and, have them have financially rewarding lives. And, and for everyone that's done that, that's taken somebody who's a newer agent and, and 
see them reach their financial goals and their vision board goals and allow them to be successful and watch them pass that down to other people. There's nothing more rewarding than that. Um, it truly, you know, it's magical. And um, we're, we're lucky to, to be able to do that. So. Has it been easy? I mean, did you make any mistakes along oh, the way? Oh yeah, it's so easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, quite, yes, quite a few. Um, I, I continue to make them. So Anthony, in times of uncertainty and change, people look for leaders with strong leadership and confidence. How do you do, how do you exhibit that? How do you show that? Or who do you look for that gives you some of those things? Like I, I look at both of those things. I mean, I'm constantly looking for people that are messaging differently to give confidence that I can pass on to my people. Mm -hmm. I think there's confidence, um, but not overconfidence. So confidence comes from just, I've been there, I've experienced that. So after 29 years, pretty much most of the things we're gonna have experienced uh, in some capacity you know, in real estate, right? Something that happened that maybe a newer agent wasn't familiar with, but we've like, look, we've been there. Um, you know, we, we, we understand when, you know, the person who signed the title isn't the person who should have signed it. <laughs> or, um, you know, there's a, a lien on title that no one knew about. Um, so I think confidence comes from, from the experience. And I was talking to, to Michelle about this. Uh, we, we had a brief call last night. And one thing that COVID has taught us, um, pre-COVID, people would camp out at the, my office and 24-7 be a sponge and ask questions. And I would love to transfer that knowledge. They'd listen on my calls. They'd listen to how I deal with objection handling. And then during COVID, we didn't really come into the office. And we really missed that transfer of knowledge. And so I'm trying to, to create more ways, because Zoom calls are nice, but you don't see face-to-face -to, -face to people and they're maybe they're texting and they're, you know, got distractions. And so we're, we're making a very concerted effort to do more face-to-face -face so they can, you know, the experienced people when whatever industry can pass down that knowledge. Because I really see in the next five to 10 years, there's going to be a huge gap on that knowledge passed down um, because you can't transfer it as well via Zoom and emails and text. It has to be in person. Um, and so, what, what do you mean by that? Why, why do you believe there's a gap there? That's an interesting concept. Um, I'm realizing it on my team. So, so I, I realize the questions that they ask, and I realize um, their knowledge that they have. Look, they're great people, and they're doing very well, but there's still a gap in knowledge that's not being passed down the way it should be because they're not spending as much time with me. And and I take ownership. It's because I'm not spending as much time in the office. So. Um, I need to be more committed. I've got so comfortable being in being, you know, working at, at different locations and uh, at your home office and, you know, where you get comfortable. And um, I think as a leader, we need to show up and we need to be face to face and we need to pass on things that don't always get passed on uh, unless you're face to face. So. So I, I totally agree. I totally agree with you. I've never, uh, I don't like the virtual office and I have people that want to work virtually. And I just like, I, man, if I can avoid that, I want to, because I, I don't think you get that same transfer of knowledge. Michelle, I just, this is a curious question. You know, sites had some tremendous growth over the last couple of years. Uh, how many site partners do you currently have? And are you starting to notice some commonalities between successful leaders and the ones who are exhibiting strong confidence? What, like, yeah. what are some of those traits that you're seeing? Yeah, so first to answer your first question, um, we have now over 500 companies that we've created 
um, for our side partners. Think about that, you guys. 500 teams that never existed before are now new companies. I mean, that's just like a astounding statistic. <laughs> and, and I want to comment one thing because I, I don't know if Michelle it may be too too shy to, to mention it, but it's such an amazing stat. Yeah. 50 over 50% are women-owned businesses that are side partners, and over 33% are minority-owned businesses. I love that. I mean, that is such a great alignment of our core values and and what we as on our own team want to embrace, you know, diversity. And I love that. I mean, statistically in the industry, that's got to be 10 times higher than any other real estate company. 50% yeah, cool. over 50% women-owned and over 33% minority-owned businesses. That is, I love that stat. Yeah, I think Verl has actually. So I wasn't, I wasn't uh, being shy about it, but I think he has a slide that's going to. Okay, sorry, I beat you to it. <laughs> I know, it's okay, it's all I just but, love uh, it. I mean, I tell you, I get really passionate about it, and uh, I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, it's such a great. I mean, being new to the company and and having seen that that was built was just an incredible um, delight and surprise. Um, just coming, especially from an industry, to be honest, of automotive, where it's so not that way, um, <laughs> right? Uh, I used to say that there's no other industry that is more male and white dominated than automotive. And so coming into this community and seeing the diversity has been amazing. And Michelle, I didn't mean to say you were shy because you're definitely not shy. <laughs> I was going to say, I, that's, so, I've never that's used the that last, word. That's the, last word that's the last word I'd ever say about you. <laughs> well, Verl, to answer your question before about what what is, um, you know, what do we see? What are the commonalities? I think there's two of them. Um, one is something we've talked quite a bit about, which is mentorship. You know, this ability um, for our partners to pass down, like Anthony's speaking that right now, pass down what they have learned, what made them successful and, and really have passion for mentoring people and as they grow the team. The other piece we haven't really touched on yet that I want to make sure we talk about because it's such a big piece, like even when you and I met Verl at, at Side by Side, like it was my first experience with the community, but leaders in our community just generally seeing this in the industry at large that are learning from other leaders. So they surround themselves with people that are like them, like-minded um, leaders where they have learned and have their own best practices and their own failures, picked it up and, you know, did better, did more. And so being able to spend time with people um, in that community that are you know, going through a process is very similar, a stage of building a company that are very similar. That's the other commonality that I see is just the, the side community in, in totality. Um, and it's not even just, sure, we we bring it together, but I've seen it start to, to happen organically. I just heard a story last week where a bunch of partners got together to go see a, a new development in San Francisco. Side wasn't there. We we didn't even know that that was happening. <laughs> we just heard about it. We heard that they got together and and were networking, collaborating with one each other. And I think that's a big thing: is we never stop learning as leaders. You can't stop if you think that you're done or you take the the foot off the pedal and you don't grow. You're not really doing your team justice. 
Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I know that uh, masterminding and finding like-minded people and people that are doing things different from you and looking at the world differently is what helps us, is what helps us grow as leaders. I see that. I see that a lot. And I know, Anthony, you're involved in a lot of masterminds and trying to find groups of people that are thinking differently. Um, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but a, a good leader shows humility and can admit mistakes. Uh, you mentioned that, Anthony and Michelle, you've talked about that and be willing to be vulnerable. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to go on to the next uh, point. Uh, Nancy had a question, Burrell. I just I can address oh, it real quick. So please, I can't see it. So yeah, Nancy do. said um, she asked. You know, a lot of younger agents want to do more texting and and not face to face. And how do you overcome that? And you know, I, I keep going back to we call them verbalisms, but uh, belly to belly. Um, so there's you know there's point systems where you get for texting and for emailing. But but once again, you know. Younger people want to take, sometimes they're more comfortable texting. And, and obviously you want to find out what the best communication method is for your client you're talking to. Um, however, um, we do um, awards, if you will, and competitions, friendly competitions in our office for face-to-face, -face, Nancy. So, you know, the more the more face-to-face -face meetings we can have per week, the there's a $100 prize. And... Um, you know, that promotes more the interaction of, of meeting with people. And so uh, that's how we do it, if, if that helps answer it. And I recommend, you know, 20 minute meetings, ideally, uh, because a lot of agents can do busy work. And well, I met with a client for two hours. Um, so we typically like going to Starbucks and we do 20 minute intervals or 30 minute intervals, have back to back clients coming to, to the Starbucks where we can meet them face to face. And it's a very efficient use of time. You can introduce two different clients, which is really beneficial. I do it outside with a laptop. So then you get more visibility. You're going to run into more clients and more people that way. Um, and then make it fun, you know, make it fun and have a um, kind of a, a fun competition around it. So I love that. So texting is fine if the purpose is to get face to face. But texting is its only form of communication doesn't allow you to get belly to belly with people. And, you know, when you're with someone, the energy that is exchanged and the relationship that grows is so much more valuable than the non-emotional text message that happens. There's no emoji that can replace the personal connection, the smile and the firm handshake and the genuine interest in someone's uh, life and business and what's happening with them. So I, I love that you're focused on that as a team. Michelle, when we talk about um, being a leader, being a leader oftentimes mean, means that you have to let go of things that you are not willing to let go of. How do you get people to, um, how, do you get, how do you get doers to become leaders and let go of things and give people responsibility? What are some of the, what are some of the tactics that you would share with our group to be yeah. better at handing stuff off? Um, you know, I think part of it is really making sure that you um, are collaborating with your teams, that it's not just this, um, I think Anthony says earlier, you did Burl, like dictatorship, right? Um, yep. That we, we need to make sure that we can collaborate and get them involved in making some of those decisions so that they feel responsible. I think that's the first thing, like bought in, you know, there used to be, um, I shared with Anthony, uh, the, you know, some of the early failures that I had in my career, but one of them was holding on to things so long and then realizing I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it over the finish line because I had all these other things to do. And then I'd be like, here, <laughs> I'm going to delegate this to you halfway through the project. Go. Um, and that just doesn't feel good to anybody. 
right? You have to make sure that you are energizing them, inspiring them, creating a vision, getting them collaborating on what it is that you're trying to accomplish together, and then giving them the responsibility to run with whatever it was that that you guys set as a as a joint goal. Um, that's that delegation is is such a huge thing to not try to take it part way there. I could imagine, and Anthony can probably speak to this, that there are some times where we have a listing and we take it, you know, ourselves a little too far, and then we realize, oh, we need to bring somebody into the open house, or we need to bring somebody in to do this other task, and um, that's I think when you when you lose people is they're just not motivated to own it. You know, it's all about ownership. That's actually one of besides core values is to provide ownership, um, not just to our partners, but also internally. We want everybody to own their own um, capabilities. It's it's one of our values for our employee base. So I, I think it's really about how do you make sure um, that you're showing people why that's so important at the end of the day. Thank, thank you for that, Michelle. So Anthony, can you give me an example of something you had a hard time uh, delegating, letting somebody, letting something go of where they actually blew you away and showed you that their capability was even more than you imagined. But you yeah. Would have never so, known that yeah. So uh, one of our, one of our, our newer agents, she was uh, 21 years old and I had a lot of extra clients and uh, they were high-end clients. And, you know, it shows confidence that you're letting someone take on more responsibility. Right. So I, my, my mantra is I give people as much responsibility as they can handle until they tell me, hey, that's too much responsibility. <laughs> so I gave I gave her, I think it was a $5 million client and she she killed it. And she, you know, you obviously you're going to be there, like Michelle said, to support them. But but you'd be surprised not only how good they're going to be, but a lot of your agents and your team members are going to do a better job than you will because they all have superpowers and they're going to do it differently and they're going to have different skill sets. And, you know, a lot of team leaders think, well, they're the only ones that can do it. You know, and guess what? If you get hit by a car or you get sick and you're out for two weeks, you're going to be shocked at how well some of the other agents do. So I'm a big believer in giving as much responsibility as, as someone can handle. Um, and it surprised me many, many times. And sometimes they just need that confidence boost, right? To say, no, you can, you can do this. You know, I've had times where I've had another, um, somebody on the team present in front of an audience and they're like, uh, me, well, that should be you. And I'm like, no, you're going to do great. Go do it. And just putting them out there is um, so confidence building for them to recognize that you are totally comfortable and believe in them. I think believe, like just feeling like people believe in you is really what it takes for them to, to show up and take the responsibility that you're wanting them to take. You think it's possible that we're just afraid to let people fail, that, you know, the things that make, in my opinion, when I see you, the two of you as leaders, I think that one of the things that makes you good leaders is the fact that you've been willing to fail and that you've accepted that failure is part of your learning and growing process, but we don't want other people to have to fail. And so we, we feel like we're protecting them by keeping it to ourselves instead of allowing them to learn and to go through the process of learning and actually being okay to fail. You know, Anthony, you said there, I'm there to have your back and supervise to make sure you don't feel too bad. But I, I think we protect our, and we do with our family sometimes. I think we protect our kids too much and we don't let them fail. And by not letting them fail, they don't grow. One thing you, you told me early on, Burl, was um, there's no such thing as a real estate emergency. If there's a real emergency, call 911. And so we keep <laughs> thinking and we create drama in real estate, right? 
and we said, oh my God, you know, the, the listing date was off by a day and, you know, we forgot to post that main picture the client wanted and we're, we forgot the lockbox code. <laughs> and the reality is none of that, you know, in the scheme of life, it's all pretty minor stuff. You know, it really is pretty minor stuff. And once you take yourself out of it and realize that there's no such thing as a real estate emergency, it's all just minor stuff. Um, you put it in the right perspective. So. Yeah, that's that that really is that really is true. We do create emergencies, but I think we create emergencies because it allows us to justify our greatness. We do it for ourselves so that we can become the hero that saves it and solves the problem. And in reality, we make bigger deals out of things that it has to be just so that we can, you know, we can feed our um, yeah. our egos, if you will, of being being great. Um, how do you eliminate Anthony? I thought it was really interesting that you know. A third of the people that leave teams, they they leave due to a conflict with an individual on the team. How do you avoid having conflict on the team? And Michelle, I'd like to hear about you as well. Like when you see conflict on teams, are there things that you can do to eliminate that dysfunction? Our last round of interviews is a culture interview, and I'm not on it. Our whole team is on it, and they get to pick. And if any one person says, I don't want that person on in our company or on our team, they're not on. And I don't even need to know reason. So they have ownership in it in picking. It doesn't mean they're not going to be a conflict later on, but at least it it does prevent some initially, um, you know, from having that. I think that's beautiful, uh, Michelle. What do you do? To, what do you say to leaders that are looking to eliminate a conflict or to avoid that going in? I love yeah. the idea of hiring as a team, and then the team feels responsible to help them succeed as well. Yeah. Well, I, I guess the first thing I would say, and I know that's not what this slide is saying. Um, but it depends on the type of conflict because some conflict is actually extremely valuable amongst teams. It just means there's different points of view and you have to work through it. And if you build a culture like Anthony was talking about where people feel connected, they share the same values, that conflict um, will really help them grow. So, you know, if they're having a conflict that is having them leave the team because it, it's like so you know um uh impactful for them then i do i would look at the values and make sure that everybody um really shares the same values on the team um because that that shouldn't happen in my mind you should build relationships be connected by values and conflict should be positive it shouldn't create you know this this mechanism of feeling like you have to leave um, it should help them grow. And honestly, I typically tell teams to go work out their conflict on their own. If they come to me and want me to work out the conflict, we've all failed <laughs> because right. they need to learn how to do that on their own and, and get through the other side. So I, I agree with Anthony wholeheartedly that it comes to values in the end. That's sort of the, the core. Um, but then from there, you know, let's let's make some, some positive conflict. I, I think it could be good. So I love that. So I like to say we, we don't have people problems, we have process problems, and that conflict is healthy if you attack the process instead of the person. And so how did our process fail us? And that's why we have a, a, mm -hmm. something that's not working right. And then how do we figure it together? I also think your team is boring if you don't have healthy conflict, because if you're never challenging the status quo and trying to get better and, and you know, conflict is healthy if it's if it's designed to help uh, help the business grow. And I think that's, uh, we have an interesting model in, a, in our team meetings. Yeah. Everyone's allowed to talk and bring up criticism and people that have come from other teams and other companies go, wow, Anthony, 
normally we're used to a dictatorship. And, and I, they come into our, at our meeting and they hear brand new agents saying, Anthony, I don't think you should do it that way. Do it this way. And I'm like, hey, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> and they're like, right. this brand new agent is. <laughs> so it is interesting, uh, the di di dynamics. Um, and one thing I wanted to share real quick is we honor our core values. We have a, an award called the Amalfi Award. And I think every team and every company should have that. And they should really, you know, put the, the positivity and the importance of that award front and center, more important than how many transactions you've done and the dollar volume. And so the Amalfi is our most prestigious award and it's whoever has aligned most with our core values. And it's voted on by every single member of the team. And what I'm most proud of is that every sales partner and every employee, I'm not included in the voting, uh, automatically gets, well, not automatically, but always gets at least a couple votes so it just means that everyone kind of embraces those those core values. I love that. Michelle, final thoughts on leadership and becoming a leader others would follow. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that really at the end of the day, it's about continuing to push yourself, right? If we stop, we're, we're just not growing and we're not growing our teams. And so we need to really be thinking about how do we continue to evolve as leaders. We're not perfect. And if we put this perfect perception out there, it's going to be, you know, seen as something that people are trying to aspire to that's just not realistic. So keep learning, learn from people in your community, you know, join masterminds, um, be part of a, a network of, of um, agents and, and um, team leaders that really care about passing it down. I think we heard even Anthony on this call say, hey, if anybody wants to me to share this strategy that I just talked about, I'm open, like be open to sharing because what you give, you get back. And I think that would be my biggest takeaway on, on how to be a great leader that people want to follow, follow is to model the behavior you want to see in other people. I love that. Anthony, final thoughts, and we'll wrap it up. I appreciate it. Yeah, so I think in, in times of uncertainty, just look for leaders that have strong leadership and confidence. Um, and usually that comes with experience. So it definitely makes people feel more comfortable and more confident when they're talking to someone who's already been through it five, six, 10 times, you know, what's experience, what, what, what they're going through. So I think that look for that. If you don't have that now, look for that. Well, I appreciate that. What a great, uh, what a great exchange of ideas and thoughts on leadership and how to develop leaders. Michelle, thank you so much for being here and sharing your thoughts with us. Anthony, continued success as you continue to make a difference in the lives of the people that you serve and in your community and to everybody else on the call. Thank you for being here. Happy holidays, everybody. Enjoy the time. Happy you have holidays, everyone. Yes, thank Look forward you. To seeing you all soon. Bye, everybody. Bye, Bye everybody. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.